Welcome to this week's episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast, a podcast where we discuss the culture of beer. Brought to you by Oedipus Brewing, and I'm your host, Danny Walker. Joining me in the studio for today's episode is Sander Nadevane, head brewer and co-founder of Oedipus, and also Samuel Levy, sausage maker at Brandon Levy, chef, writer, campaigner, and all-round personality when it comes to local food culture. When the lockdown started earlier this year, farmers, bakers and many different types of producers were left with lots of food and drink on their hands after bars and restaurants had all just shut. To help them out, Samuel Levy set up Support Your Locals, a delivery service for connecting producers with the people in their neighbourhood. On the show, we discuss local food systems, the best way to support the local food culture around you. As well as that, we talk about alcohol-free beers, since I'm doing no alcohol this November, and coincidentally, Samuel had also been doing his own research preparing for a piece in the parole. Together, we enjoy an alcohol-free beer by Poyala from Estonia. All that on today's Radio Oedipus podcast. Welcome, Sander. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah. Good, good. And welcome. Steady. Steady. Steady on this November afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's already in November, man. I know. I know. Kind of still feels like summer outside as well. Yeah, it was, it was pretty warm uh, when, I, when we were just outside. Yeah. It feels like summer was also two minutes ago, which is, is kind of a sign of the times, really, that time's moving fast but feels slow. Yeah. Strange. Means you're getting older. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the show, Samuel Levy. How are you? Yeah, great. It's great to be here. I've never been. I've, I've never been here in this building. I'm just looking around at all these really nice designs. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool to be here. Cheers. This is inside the creative mind of Victor, and yeah. it is. Uh, it, it is somewhat crazy, uh, but yeah, it, it adds a good atmosphere for the radio show. Um, I'll kick off by talking about the beer we've got in front of us. We've got an alcohol-free beer. I'm not drinking this November, so I thought I'd bring that and make it part of the show. We're drinking a beer by Poyala. We'll drink as we go and talk to Samuel. Um, Can't wait to open it. Yeah. Let's Let's do it. it. Let's do it. Can I uh, have your opener? Cheers. Sound effects encouraged as well. (laughs) (laughs) Great. All right, so Samuel, uh, you're involved with many different projects, all to do with the culture of food. You're a chef, writer, sausage maker, campaigner, the universal man, I would call you. Um, And today I want to talk a little bit about uh, local food systems, because you're working on a project all about that, supporting local currently in Amsterdam. Uh, We hear slogans like support your locals, eat local, buy local a lot, especially at the moment. But I feel like the message is often washed over a little bit uh, and is lost. In essence, what do we mean by support local? So for me, kind of, I started thinking about our local food system a long time ago, but it was when kind of Corona and all of the whole COVID pandemic came over our country um, and people started going to the supermarkets and then kind of the small producers uh, who normally would sell to the big, uh, just to kind of restaurants instead of to the big retail, um, didn't have any market anymore. It kind of really struck me that we need to support local producers, small scale producers, if we want to kind of, yeah, support them through these difficult times. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why you could or should support locals, producers. 
It could be about sustainability. We can go into that. We, it could be about local economy. It could be just about kind of revitalizing mm. your own area, making sure that we kind of maintain the small shops and the small producers because we think it's important and it's part of our culture. So there's so many reasons. Um, yeah, and they, there's, they they all have their own story and there's, there's a discussion about uh, behind every one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's really important that you kind of, if you're talking about food culture, you need local producers because culture is made locally. Um, and then at the same time, I think it's absolutely marvellous that we can buy chocolate from Ghana uh, and buy really nice coffee from Ethiopia or that kind right, of yeah. you as brewers can buy hops from America. Or, so I think it's if you're talking about food culture, it's not only made locally and mm-hmm. we should kind of really t- kind of treasure as well that we have access to these global food markets. Um, but to maintain a local food system, we need to work for it as well. Mm-hmm. Is is buying local the best option though? No, not always. No. I mean, you can buy really crap stuff locally. Yeah. Uh, you can have really <laughs> crap producers locally. So Really bad beer. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> can find really bad, <laughs> really um, bad beer. Yeah, yeah, you can find really bad, bad beer or really bad sausage or um, <clears throat> you can find farmer who does really shit work on his land and kind of doesn't treat his animals right locally. So mm-hmm. of course it's not the right thing and everything local is not good. But mm-hmm. I think um, there is a way, I, I really believe in kind of the connection between consumers and producers. And I do believe that if you produce for your local market, the chances are quite big that you pay more attention to your own surroundings because it's that your consumers are around you mm-hmm. uh, and we'll look at kind of how you are treating your surroundings. Mm-hmm. So there's, I don't know, it's a, it's complicated, but it's a, it's I think we're gonna, big, we, we have an hour to talk about yeah, it. So it's, we, it's definitely, it's definitely a, a big uh, world because I guess if you talk about whether to go with a local farmer or a, uh, an industrial farmer, the challenges that a local farmer might face are a lot different to what an industrial farmer has. They, you said sustainable is, but maybe an industrial farmer is a bit more sustainable because they have access to more innovative, industrialized farming setups, and so there's different. It could maybe be a bit greener. Yeah. Uh, so there's, let's say this. I think you have different. Um, you can look at sustainability as a very technical thing, but you can also look at it as a, as a more ecological thing, where you kind of look at more different aspects. So you have the whole discussion about take, let's say, a chicken farm, really big industrial farms really efficient uh, and if you would look at the feed conversion um, they would probably do a quite good job compared to the organic farm where the chickens need a lot more land they live longer so they need more food mm-hmm. so you could say technically you can say hey that big farm is more sustainable you could also look at kind of the whole system and you could say hey the fact that the organic farmer is growing his own food mm-hmm. um, is using his own uh, feces to use as a, a uh, not the yeah. farmers, it, yeah. the chickens, my face the mess, the, like, the kind of the this is well, what is crazy mess? farm yeah. <laughs> manure, yeah, manure, manure, sure, manure yeah. yeah, chicken feed, manure. Man, the manure to kind of um, put back it, put that back on the land, Plus, yeah. and that could be a, a more ecological system. Mm-hmm. Um, but technically, if you look at it, you could say maybe the other thing is more sustainable. So it's so complicated, um, and. And then again, so if you look at the Dutch local food system, most of, we are really good in industrial farming. 
we kind of we did we were kind of the inventors of industrial farming globally mm -hmm. so or if you look at what we are doing locally it's not only small scale sustainable organic farming mm -hmm. so then there's again a lot of people who think if you talk about local production mm -hmm. then it's about small scale but in the netherlands basically most of what we do is large scale so it's a hard difficult kind of conversation but i think yeah what, what we talk about if we talk about um support your locals it's also kind of trying to make it a smaller chain mm -hmm. to have less different people in between uh the the producer and the consumer mm -hmm. um so that actually the producer can get a better price and invest more in sustainability uh yeah biodiversity all that mm -hmm. stuff and would you say uh, when you talk about the the techniques of the, the chicken farmer, would you say that supporting local might mean a more quality product as well then, right? So what you see, is, if you look at in the Netherlands, um, I think a lot of the industrial farming and the large-scale farming uh, produces for a world market mm. where price is the thing that, con that the market looks at. People just want to buy volume for a low price. If you have like uh, a local market, there's a... A quite a big chance that if you have a good story and if you produce high quality that you'll get a better price so you're not looking at producing high volumes but you're looking at producing quality so i think that is one of the reasons to buy local uh buy at producers where you how that you know how they produce uh and that actually invest in quality what what i think is part of the the challenges for some of these local producers is that you don't always know that story that you're talking about. I think for me, you and Sander, we maybe do because we've maybe invested a bit more in that. But maybe in a certain cafe, you, and most people don't know who's providing that bread or who's providing the cheese or, or even the milk. W would you say that most people are still on effects of what is available in a local food system? Um, is that one of the problems why it's not uh, I think more and well more enough? people I think it depends on where you would be as well and kind of but I think more and more people are starting to become interested in where their food comes from mm. but most people still just go to the supermarket and just buy the yeah. cheapest they can get and yeah. actually the Netherlands I think if you're talking about food culture is a country where we have great produce we have great chefs we have great farmers yeah. um but we don't really have a food culture um, that is like has been going like you have like the French food culture or you Italian right, food culture okay. where people are really striving quality and where they're really looking at going to the best market in the weekends. I think that's something that's only really starting the last mm. 10 years in the Netherlands. Mm. How do we improve that visibility then, would you say? How do we promote the local um, food landscape? Sander, what do you think? You've been quiet, man. You've been tasting that beer. I just want to have a sip of my beer and hear what Sander. Yeah, it's a difficult question. I think uh, I'm really curious for your answer. Also, I think you're uh, reaching, trying to reach out through various platforms to uh, to inform people about what's going on, and I think that's also where we met. You know, uh, mm -hmm. 2011, 12 or so, uh, trying to. <clears throat> get a product out to people and show them, show people what a sausage or a beer can be uh, or what any um, produce produced on a small scale uh, can be. I think we should tell people 
who are listening that kind of Sandra and I met for the first time, I think, at a food fair. It was like tiny on the red light districts. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Was, I was extremely drunk um, <laughs> because their beer was extremely strong. <laughs> I was trying to grill some sausages and they kind of came up with some weird ass installation brewing we beer and serving. Brewing, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, and nice. we were doing live sausage making yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. and we got really hammered together. It was like... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, but I think that can be a way, of course, to to take people by the hand, whether on events. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you're also writing about it, uh, podcasts, uh, whatever media you can use. I think you could inform people, but at the same time, I think it's very difficult to uh, take that uh, price argument out of people's minds yeah. or get it out of the way. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the. I think so. I really think we have like different food systems that kind of coexist and that's a good thing um but we need to make people aware that kind of if you want to eat high quality food if you want your food producers to invest in sustainability in animal welfare the consumer needs to pay and for that it's really important that we inform people about what producers are out there and mm -hmm. what they're doing um, and there's so many ways so i've been doing that over the last 10 years mm. uh, by writing about it, yeah. making podcasts indeed, um, but also really kind of get people, yeah, I think if you look at the shops that are kind of have been sprouting the last 10 years, there's more and more shops that are really kind of, yeah, being that, that are actually a platform for small scale producers. Um, right. So where you used to have like just the big supermarkets and some small shops, uh, now there's like, small chains and a lot of delis who are actually trying to sell the best produce that they can get their hands on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You say there wasn't a, really a food culture in the Netherlands, and I think that it's, of course, very different than Italy or France or so. Um, but you also hear people talking about, okay, uh, making food your grandmother used to mm -hmm. make or use the ingredients that your grandmother, that's healthy for you. What Do you think there was? A, a, how long ago was there a sort of local or was there ever a more local and when did it change or no, was so there something before that was more honest or, or shorter chains i think so i think the netherlands um of course we had a food culture i think that for one thing that i think was defined by um the, yeah the whole fact that we just sent ships all over the world and stole all her, all, all spices we could get our hands on and kind of got really filthy rich uh, by the trade in spices and uh, so yeah the Netherlands was for some kind of some point a center point in spice trade so spices came to the Netherlands so most of our foods are spiced with uh, spices from Indonesia or Suriname or wherever um, and and so we do have some kind of food culture but and I think it was the rich in the in the the, the 1700s um, that were doing these really big dinners and having big feasts. And of course, there was something going on. But at the same time, it was a really Calvinistic, what do you, what is Calvinistic. it? Calvinistic. Yeah, Calvinistic <laughs> country Calvin where people, ne kind of the, 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 the normal people wouldn't spend too much money on their food. Right, and if okay. you still look at kind of where we are on world levels, the yeah. Dutch don't spend a lot, a high percentage of their mm. monthly spendable money on food. So just cheap, yeah. We're cheap, yeah. Cheap, cheap skates. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I cheap farmers. Well, cheap farmers as well. The cheap Dutch cheese uh, is very, very well known worldwide. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, so yeah. yeah. And we have, I mean, we have amazing herring. We have a thriving fish community uh, that fishes all over the world now. So yeah. there is there is some kind of food culture. But snack bar. Snack bar. Yeah, man. But take your oil That's culture, man. Yeah, no, it is. No, so there is some kind of food culture, but it's not as in Italy where people will go out to go to the farmer's market and buy the most beautiful veg because people just go to the supermarket and buy their veg. Mm. Uh, they read the Allerhande, which is like the best written uh, magazine in, in the Netherlands, which is just a supermarket magazine. I mean, that's that's the Netherlands, man. Mm. But yeah. when did it, that came about? Sorry to continue. Yes, uh, <laughs> no, 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 I think this is good. Because it, I want to know what the problem is. Is it, is it because people are less informed? Uh, is it... And why aren't the supermarkets stocking more? Yeah, where stuff? did the, the when did the superpower gain this uh, this or how did they get in this position that uh, that this grandmother who, who went to the kruidenier or the local yeah. uh, deli or whatever how do you what you call that the grocery shop and I, so I don't I yeah I don't know if uh, I think about it it's kind of my grandma kind of, kind of I had like a conversation with um, my aunt the other day and we were talking about what they ate when they were younger and she was telling them me how she when she was when it was like a 12th birthday or something and she wanted to eat red peppers paprikas mm -hmm. and the Netherlands there weren't any red peppers in the Netherlands mm -hmm. um, which isn't that funny because we were growing cabbage and potatoes and <laughs> onions and not red peppers yeah and now we're like one of the biggest exporting co countries in europe in red peppers so in like 60 years so much has happened mm -hmm. um so yeah food culture has changed enormously fast mm -hmm. um which is a good thing but i think so what well, i think what our grandmas ate wasn't that interesting it was like really simple food Mm, stews yeah and, uh... and that, some of that is really still really nice i mean the dutch erte soup i'm doing a project about erte soup at the moment i really love snert, snert i really love yeah, it's yeah. one of the the dishes that i think is like really typically dutch really nice mm -hmm. but it's not i mean it's really simple mm. and i think that is kind of quite defining for dutch food the food culture we have is really simple it's like stumpled met worst it's mm. Eta soup. It's hated blixem. It's like simple, yeah. Simple which, is, which is 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 hearty rustic food, but it's it's loved by us all. And as a, as an expat, I've eaten all those meals, and I also think they're great. But how do we uh, kind of promote the 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 culture now? Do you do you put in like a modern interpretation on it, or how do we kind of add value to this culture we've got? Yeah. So now I think we are like a quite. We have like a, a, a global view yeah. Um, and it's really interesting to kind of take our own produce and uh, turn it into interesting food. And it doesn't, mm -hmm. so food culture for me now is not about our, what our grandmas ate. It's mm -hmm. about what we know, what we can produce. So the beers that you guys brew here at Oedipus um, is, it's not a traditional Dutch beer, but it is brewed locally. It's really nice. So, yeah, let's embrace that and say we've changed the beer culture and it's a lot more interesting. And mm. so the, the sausages that we produce are not traditional Dutch sausages. Mm. But for me, I think they're like one of the best sausages produced in Europe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's now now we have actually taken the food culture to the next level. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's what we're doing now. And that's what all of these small producers are doing. We've got people uh, producing 
Dutch mozzarella made by uh, from water buffles mm-hmm. uh, and it's for me it's better than most of the Italian mozzarellas I've ever had so now it's part of our food culture yeah maybe that and, is the culture that that uh, then the Dutch are innovators yeah and we're really and we have so we we've, we've had the the luck that we also uh, a place where loads of mm-hmm. cultures mingle so we have and it's not always because of the it's not always a glorious history with golden i mean it's like there's a lot of dark pages to our history but we have a whole big uh, indonesian community we have a whole big surinamese co- uh, community a big chinese culture culture here mm-hmm. uh, that that all mixes with our own food and our own produce mm-hmm. and hey we have a more interesting food culture now um and we can't say it's all dutch dutch but it's all happening here yeah for sure a moment for the beer sander oh sure yeah yeah <clears throat> so poyala is called tundra non-alcoholic ipa so what do we know about poyala sander um well it's a brewery from um estonia Tallinn. uh started around the same time as we did i guess uh Hung out plenty uh, at festivals together. Shout out to Peter Cake, uh, Chris. Uh, how are you guys doing? <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, modern brewery. Uh, I think mostly known for strong dark beers and hoppy stuff. We brewed a collaboration during uh, the international beer festival, or no, Planet Oedipus. I think the first edition of Planet Oedipus. Uh, we did. Uh, a strong dark beer where we started off with the idea to create a beer version of uh, Zouten Drop, uh, a typical Dutch delicacy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we used some licorice and um, also I think bay leaf. Was it good? Yeah. 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 We barrel aged also. So there's, uh, some, some, there's somewhere it. you still have some in a barrel. Or, uh... I actually have one keg of that uh, wow. version that sat in a barrel left. Uh, yeah so yeah that yeah i know them well or yeah it's been a while (laughs) since uh, i have uh, seen these guys uh good to see that they have a low abv uh uh, beer available Mm -hmm. doesn't surprise me it's a hoppy one um brewed with spruce tips it says on the label it's funny we uh did a collaboration also with labietes from uh, uh, uh latvia latvia yeah what is spruce spruce tips spruce tips i'm not sure it's uh, spruce tips are the um, the young shoots of uh, the pine. Didn't know that. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the young. Yeah. Uh, we put them in the sausage. They put them in the beer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's not so different. <laughs> <the> end, yeah. <laughs> That's innovation. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So I brewed with it once. Uh, it can have this this really resinous, piney uh, flavor, mm. which goes well with certain hop varieties, I guess. Uh, I think this one is, uh, you talk, spoke about fruity, definitely is a bit, uh, I think, fruity esters, maybe, yeah, sort of fermentation-like fruitiness, bit citrusy as well. I get big citrus notes on yeah. the nose, actually does remind me not uh, of Drinku in, in quite some ways, and it's refreshing, fruity, maybe not <coughs> some sour notes that uh, Drinku has, but... Similar, close relative, I might say. Yeah, and of course, you you can tell it's a low ABV beer. Samuel's cracking one open <laughs> to do the comparison. <laughs> yeah. um, you can tell it's a low ABV beer, it uh, lacks a bit of body, but I think the aftertaste, it's funny that 
I think they've used, or the label states it, uh, it's brewed with lactose as well, milk, sugar. And you can get that, sometimes you really taste it in a beer. And I think this, sometimes in uh, these creamy, rich New England IPAs, you really taste that lactose. And uh, this one also has that a bit. So there's a bit of the feel for me for from uh, a New England IPA. In the beginning, I had a bit of a hint of sulfur, a uh, bit, bit sulfury or clay soil minerality going on not yeah. sure did you guys pick anything of that like that up no what do you think of it samuel yeah what's your view on the old alcohol free uh beer samuel do you find yourself drinking many yeah so i hardly drink any beer at home but i drink right. loads of alcohol free beer which is then also <laughs> beer yeah but i stopped drinking after last summer okay for a couple of months yeah um and then so now my fridge is just stocked with alcohol free beer nice you have a favorite um so I'm in the middle of doing a really big alcohol-free test. We're tasting all um, all Dutch alcohol-free beers for Pet Barreau, the, the paper I'm writing for. Mm-hmm. So I tasted, we did a first round last Watch week. your local newspaper. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah. Um, I liked Brothers-in-Law, had a quite good um, yeah, yeah. Uh, beer. Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. try that. That's nice. Um, I, I actually drink quite a lot of... Uh, Dorinka, yeah, yeah, great. Uh, the Oedipus one, I like. I'm just thinking, I what I really like is this the it's the, the sun from Mikla drinking the sun, yeah, yeah. Mm. that I like. Yeah. That I, I drink, I think I buy like 20 bottles a week. I think that Albert Hain is like stocking it just Why? for me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's <laughs> like what I, it's my go to <laughs> drink every day. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, it's also in Albert Hain nowadays, yeah, yeah. Man. yeah. They have yeah. quite a good, uh, quite a good section, especially in the good ones. Um, there's also loads of really disgusting ones out there, mm. but you can read that in the newspaper. <laughs> what, what would you, what, and as someone who drinks them uh, quite a lot, what do you look for in a, a good alcohol-free then? So I don't like the sweetness. Mm-hmm. Like if you would take, um, yeah, some are like really. I'm not going to say too much because I'm still in the middle, and I'm I don't want to have a like, I don't want to have this lobbyist from oh, okay. the uh, big breweries standing in front of my house. <laughs> no. Uh, they so, will so, show up. Yeah, they, they will. will show up. There's um, there's some up like loads of banana and like yeah, bleh, and they're like candy and are uh, uh, not nice. So I don't don't want them to be too sweet. Mm-hmm. But some just kind of try to kill you with hops and bitterness just because they don't make make that nice mm-hmm. beer. I think and then just put so much hops in it it's like mm. Ugh. Mm-hmm. so i had um one that was like uh, yeah it was like oh, i kind of just don't know yeah. going to talk about it um i but i so there's a couple i quite like um i like some of the pills pills just simple yeah like for instance heineken yeah. it's just like it's not it's nothing really special but it's nice and it's refreshing yeah. mm-hmm. um same with the horse actually i think it's quite nice and refreshing it's there's and then there's a couple of sweet not very nice ones um, yeah, I don't know. It's Can you drink six of the same? Can you drink? Oh, yeah. The, do you the do drink that? Drink in the sun, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. if you drink in yeah. the sun. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. actually, this one you guys, also, I yeah. really, I kind of, I often go to Euro Pizza around the corner here of the studio. Yeah. Just, and I, I can sit there with friends and kind of just drink five or six and pretend to be yeah. drunk. Yeah, <laughs> so because this is also really interesting me on a, on a personal level because I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm, uh, not drinking at the moment and I'm uh, also taking the time to enjoy alcohol-free beers and I found that the, psych- the psychology aspect of thing that I was maybe worried about maybe being the one at the table that's not actually drinking real alcohol 
I would maybe have this fear of missing out, but I've actually found that with a bit with a drink that tastes has a similar kind of format to an alcoholic drink, I'm I'm actually fine with it. I'm yeah. actually feeling uh, pretty pretty good about as it. As long as your mates don't get too drunk, and yeah, you can't just. That's <laughs> and I'm, I'm the especially problem. feeling good about it the day after. Yeah. So <laughs> actually, but Asana, there's a question. I was like thinking that I was tasting a couple of those beers, and at some point, I was I had the feeling that they fill up more than a normal beer yeah is that true could that be true that kind of after five you're like it's not that you you could drink another one but it's like you really feel like oh man it's just like i've had a five course meal yeah it could be residual sugars so some are just not fermented a whole lot so not lots not all the sugars are uh, converted into alcohol so those residual sugars can fill you up and what I also had the impression, I think we spoke about it when uh, Doe was here and we had Jever Fun. Yeah, we. I also had the impression, way. especially compared to regular Jever from Drafts, which I drink fairly often, uh, that the bottled Jever Fun has more carbonation, higher yeah. carbonation to increase mouthfeel, I guess. Yeah. So that can also fill you up. Yeah. So I think those two things could be the reason why, uh, yeah, you get a bit full, yeah. or especially mm. if you drink more of them. Like I said at the top of the show, this podcast is brought to you by Oedipus Brewing. We broadcast weekly, and to catch up on previous episodes, you can head over to our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio. There you will find our whole back catalogue. The show is also available wherever you might get your podcast by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. If you want to get in contact with me, send a message to radio at oedipus.com. For now, let's get back into it with Samuel and Sander. So in recent times, we've seen more people go for this local, you know, because in Corona and COVID times, there has been this wave, especially after the first uh, bout of lockdown that we had here in the Netherlands. Um, In your opinion, Samuel, what are the consequences of a post-COVID food for food in general? Do we see it with a more local-based economy? It's obviously an industry that depends on people going out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Poof. Yeah, I'm I I'm quite anxious to see what's going to happen because yeah. I I really hope for all the restaurants and bars that have closed that they can open up and that people will come back. Um but there's also all of these people who run like uh bars or, or run the restaurants of like um the offices, the office spaces. Uh and I I don't think that's going to come back that quickly. So I think yeah. kind of the way we eat will be changing. In different ways, I think maybe we won't feel so comfortable to sit in a small restaurant with eighty people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we will be at home more, so I think maybe that will be maybe kind of the local shops will gain from that. Mm-hmm. If we don't all go and buy our shopping online at the big big supermarkets, that is what what is also happening. So I think a lot of people in that first uh, period of COVID in the in the spring. Did shop went did their kind of shopping online for the first time. A lot of people who just would normally go to the shop thought, "I don't want to go outside. I don't want to go to shops. I'm going to buy my stuff online." Um, and I think that will make a big change because that just changes people's habits and changes how how people make their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that there is also a chance for the smaller uh, producers and and smaller entrepreneurs to also find a way there, and it's not just only going to be. Bob and Gorm, the the big supermarkets, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so I hope there's kind of uh, 
a chance to diversify that a bit as well. Um, and I really hope that people kind of start, yeah, paying more attention to what they eat. But mm-hmm. that's something that I've been hoping for 10 years. So uh, maybe this kind of crisis will uh, give it a boost and mm-hmm. will get people to think about the choices they make a little bit more. Uh, but I'm not sure. But who, who's... Um... This like uncertainty, it makes me think like who is responsible then? Is it us as individuals to help promote the local producers or do we need to be like uh, writing to Albert Hine to tell them to stock more local producers? Uh, Whose end responsibility is it, do you feel, to encourage a more local-based food system? Yeah, so I think it's a bit, it has to come from everywhere. I think it's if consumers ask for things and then the supermarkets will think, hey, there's money to be made, so they'll implement it. Yeah. Um, but consumers also need to pay a little bit more because if you want mm. you want a local produced organic uh, onion, you will have to pay a little bit more than, than, mm. the, than the regular one. And I kind of, it's for everything. So if you want a really good, tasty, locally produced beer, you'll probably have to pay double uh, what you would have to pay for an industrial-made uh, alternative, yeah. yeah. So people need to pay. Um, yeah. So that has to happen with the consumer. Um, supermarkets, on I think on the whole, just it's all about efficiency and money. Yeah. So they need to kind of work out a system where they can do it efficient and make money. But mm-hmm. then I think that is not really the biggest problem. Mm. Um, yeah. Because it's you would in that case you would say that maybe supporting a local producer is still maybe a, a luxury. You know, um, yeah, but is it really? I mean, I mean, it depends on what you. It might f- feel like a luxury because you're paying more, um, but I, f- I do really think that we need to change the food system, also just from that kind of the, from sustainability mm-hmm. point of view, uh, and that is not a luxury. I mean, if I, I've got two small kids, mm-hmm. I want them to grow up in a world that kind of has. A food co- where food culture is not a luxury, but it's just part of our daily lives. Um, but also where there is still biodiversity, where we're not kind of trying to consume everything we can find on the planet. Um, so I think that is not a luxury. It's just respect for the planet. And that is not, it's not all in that, it doesn't only have to do with con- consuming locally, mm. because as I said, you can buy really shit produced local food. Um, but it is kind of we need to com- kind of help local producers to make that transition to a more sustainable food system as well. Yeah. Um, in the you said you're looking for a change in in food culture or promoting yeah. change in food culture for the last ten years. I think it happened, right? There, there, there has been changes. Yeah, loads yeah, of changes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what does what has been driving that the most? You think was it the producers or was it the consumer wanting that or was it? I Maybe really also think oh, politics or yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's been everything. So it's been, <coughs> I mean, just look at ourselves. We we started producing like about ten years ago um, because we were interested in craft and because we were trying to make nice stuff. Um, so and I think you guys were one of the first in the kind of this whole new wave of small scale uh, brewers here in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam, Amsterdam yeah, yeah, not a, but and and probably in the Netherlands. I mean, you weren't. Definitely weren't the first, but you were part of a kind of a. It became like a, yeah, a, a new really wave. trendy, yeah. trendy thing to to do. Mm. Uh, for us, it was the same, but and so that was more producer um, 
It was driven by producers as well. But at the same time, remember those festivals that we used to go to? Kind of all the hip kids in town would come there and it would be like the thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they would spend their money and their time and kind of... And that was, that was the consumers also kind of looking for these new discoveries and kind of food was like a whole trendy new thing. Um, I think that that wave is over a little bit, um, but it has it's implemented a bit in kind of what we do. So now if you would go to a big pop festival, if you look at the food what that is served there, it's totally different than what it would be 15 years ago. Then it would be your Dutch average food culture, patatje, oorlog, broodje ham. Now you have like all these yeah. cool food initiatives. So I think that is really that has really changed and it has become part of a, our culture. Um, yeah, and we need more. Mm. Simon, Simon yeah. uh, the beef chief, was saying similar things about when he first started off in food trucks. There wasn't that many, but as he saw it progress, there was more and more, and the people at first were were a bit like, "What is kimchi and a burger?" What? Yeah. Or, or, or he was actually saying like he was going to do a taco truck here in uh, yeah. in the Netherlands, and he was like, got told that uh, he should maybe think about the education that the Dutch would have to go through to understand what is a good taco. So he settled on the burger thing. But yeah. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago that Lonens yeah. only had pannenkoek uh, yeah, and maybe literally. some nasty pizza. and a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Our horrible pizza. Yeah, really, really bad pizza, really bad <laughs> yeah. sandwiches. Yeah, I would go to a festival and it would be literally friet, broodje warm vlees. Yeah. And the broodje coquette, I think, and that would be it. Uh, oh, and yeah. if you would be a vegetarian, you would be like, have a glass of water. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it would be like, yeah, uh, no. It would be a real struggle. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a question because we've spoken a lot about this Dutch food culture and how, I want to ask how you do it as an individual and as an individual uh, for your kids in a way. So like, what are you doing at home in order to kind of preserve this Dutch food culture that we've kind of talked on? Are you cooking things that are in season? Uh, traditional Dutch meals in order to kind of show them uh, a certain culture. Is that what you're doing? No, or? not really. So I'm. I mean, I've got really young kids. Yeah. And for me, the big struggle is just to get yes. them to eat in the first place. So, <laughs> I don't have kids, yeah. so I don't know where no. that question might yeah, go. Um, actually, my daughter really likes likes etta soup, so that is a good thing. Okay. But um, no, you know, I'm. For me, that kind of as yeah, but a bit what I said before, kind of food culture for me, it's not about kind of trying to preserve the stumpot and the the snet yeah Yeah. i kind of like making it now and then but for me it's more if i look at what i'm doing with my kids it's kind of more getting them interested to cook Mm -hmm. and interested in what they're eating and trying to to get them to discover Mm -hmm. new foods and take them to the markets and take them to see how the baker bakes bakes bread Mm -hmm. take them to a farm and show them that that milk actually comes from a cow really the simple stuff Mm -hmm. yeah Okay. And I've written a couple of uh, cookbooks. So we have, the, you know, Miffy, the rabbit? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've written two Miffy cookbooks. Oh, right. So that, okay. that is my way to educate kids about food. Okay, okay. And how do you do that? What what you, what sort of stories are in these uh So really basic. So, so I've worked with Big Bruno, who's, uh, yeah. you you probably know the designer. And, um, or he, he, it's oh, Nature. Right. He's, yeah, he's yeah. Nature. Nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Big Bruno is dead, but uh, with yeah. his um, uh, publishers and um yeah so we actually have the book and there's loads of recipes with veggies in them which i've made mm-hmm. and then the uh publisher makes stories about uh, miffy going into the garden and picking a carrot and mm-hmm. kind of really simple thing collecting stuff on the farm mm-hmm. 
Nice, great. Um, I had a because you're you're also a local producer yourself. You're not just campaigning for support local because Brendan Levy is a is a local sausage producer. Yeah. Um, what challenges do you face? And because do you sell your products in the supermarket as well? Um, or in in Mark's the, yeah, Mark and yeah. Echo Plaza, and so we do like the organic, more premium, crisp. We sell. Yes. Yeah. What's the what's the difference there, and and how do you balance your kind of business heart with your kind of community mm. head? So for me, I think kind of um, what we stand for as a brand has made us successful. Mm-hmm. So we just don't, yeah, we just stick with that. So when it comes to animal welfare, uh, the the farms we work with, um, that yeah, all that stuff is, is we don't change our views on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we find it really cool to work with bigger brands like the brands that I just named mm-hmm. uh, who sell our stuff. But if they would say, hey, we want them, your sausage for the half the price and you can do it by just selling cheaper meat, we would say, hey, no, that's not what we stand for. So there's no way we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. That I think that makes it easy. Mm-hmm. So those supermarkets allow you to still do your thing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and grow. yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and at the same time, there again, we really... Our brand has grown and has um, had so much support from kind of small shops through the country mm-hmm. um, that we really kind of embrace that. So we always make sure that we have like special stuff that they can sell um, that, so that we can diversify our markets a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. And I saw that, um, we, I'm not sure if we said it, uh, we said it off air, but you're also, you have your own podcast as well. Yeah. And I saw that, unfortunately, I didn't listen to it, but you had a, a whole episode about eating healthy, which I would like to have uh, listened to. But I was wondering what... I've just eaten vegan for a week. We, I you? went. The I was sausage wondering maker what went eating vegan. healthy uh, means yeah, to we... you as a, as, a, as a sausage maker. Yeah, no, so we've done, we've done loads of different things. So we've had one about marketing and about kids marketing, and we've just had a, um, a week veganism and we just did a podcast podcast about veganism and it didn't feel very healthy to me yeah a lot of veggies eating a lot of veggies feels really healthy and eating less meat is a really good idea but eating the vegan burgers and stuff from the supermarket just made me feel like i've like it's basically the same like having six alcohol-free beers beers it's like Mm. doesn't feel good for your gut i would i would agree with you there Uh, because it's it's uh what do you think is a better diet to just eat lots of vegetables or eat this kind of overprocessed. Uh... I think that's a, a bit of a problem, kind of that. I've, I really believe that meat in a diet, in a sustainable and a health fits in a sustainable and a healthy diet, but it's a yeah. lot less than we would eat averagely, kind of in the Netherlands now. Yeah. Um, so people eat, need to le- eat less meat, but I think kind of just eating loads of veggies, grains, just the, the non-processed food, and then you can choose if you're going to go fish meat. Or, or not? You, mm-hmm. I mean, you can eat healthy without eating fish, uh, any animal protein. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, kind of the really high, highly processed vegan food is not what I I would go for. No, no. <laughs> but why did you do it then? Just for Just, a challenge? Yeah, I wanted so? to see what what was there in the supermarket. So oh, we yeah. so we made this podcast about veganism. We talked to uh, Lisa Stell, who's a dietist and uh, a dietitian. Dietitian, yeah, dietitian, yeah, dietitian, dietitian, and um, influencer. And we, I cooked at a with a chef who has a really cool restaurant, Yerba, where they cook. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been there. Brilliant restaurant. Really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And then I was like, I also need to try all the, the, the vegan stuff in the supermarket. So I got like the cheese and the burgers and it's really not my kind of food. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But you can make your own schnitzel, right? You could yeah. do plant based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would rather than yeah, uh, yeah ex- exactly. I would rather, but then I would just like have what I make at home is like a, a celeriac. Yeah, and yeah. I will like dry it in the oven and then bake it and make like a a, a vegan uh, a gravy with it, and that's that's amazing food. Mm-hmm. But then I don't need to go into the supermarket and buy like a a, a vegan steak. No. <laughs> No, and is there any uh, chance of a Brandon Levy veggie sausage anytime soon? Is that something you work on? So, um, I've been trying. Wait one second. <coughs> Sorry, no worries. Uh, it's quite illegal to cough in these times. Um, do, what's this guy doing now? Yeah. I'll, I'll bleep it out. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Get him out of here! No, no I'm uh, so I, we've been tasting loads of alcohol-free beer, but I've also been tasting loads of vegan sausages and, mm-hmm. and um, just to see if there's anything really good out there. Mm-hmm. And there's not. <laughs> so I am. I would really love to make something really good, mm. but at this point, I first would be need to be inspired to find a way how to do that. Mm-hmm. What does it lack then? Meat. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, you can. Yeah, no. you can. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. dissect it, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it has to do with um, just the structure. The kind of a lot is then made out of kind of beans, mm-hmm. and if you turn bean into a paste, mm-hmm. it's more like a bread or like a doesn't have a really meaty feel to it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's structure, yeah, mouthfeel. So the structure, the mouthfeel, not so much flavor, or also well, flavor. I think you can also paste. always work around. Mm-hmm. But it's mainly the, the the the, I mean, a sausage doesn't need to taste like sausage because you can just give it any flavor you want to give it, and you can make it really spicy, and you could. But you need to have like some mouthfeel to it. Mm-hmm. I would. I am. But we do what we do is a, a half meat, half veggie sausage. Okay, that is really nice, actually. So that okay. is that we've yeah we've been try, we've been playing around. Okay. I would say, and this is also something we spoke about with Simon um, from the Beef Chief. I, I'm vegetarian, mm-hmm. and but I have eaten meat. I used to eat uh, meat growing up. Do you uh, eat like, well, do you eat cheese and do you drink milk, or are you vegan? Uh, no, I'm vegetarian. I yeah, do. So, I, do yeah. uh, I don't eat. That, I don't drink that much milk, but I, no. I eat cheese, and I love cheese. Um, but I would say that one thing I miss is kind of that psychology of eating or enjoying something like a good burger because I find that, and a good sausage, you, they're still not uh, that on the market really. And maybe because it is with beans or something, the structure of when you eat it, it's just maybe way too filling yeah. or, or something like that. And you just, I've not found anything yet that has that kind of comfort food aspect that maybe a sausage and mashed potato gave me when I was a kid yeah. or beef burger and fries uh gave the same thing so still think there is plenty of room on the market yeah i challenge you to make a sausage that uh, <laughs> I would, I would, it's definitely high on my wish list of things that i want to spend some time on doing the coming year okay yeah. great great um all right i think that brings us towards uh, the end of the conversation so all right thank you very much for joining us samuel cool that was nice. great. thank you guys Thanks for listening to the Radio Oedipus podcast. And a special thanks to Samuel Levy and also to Sander. It was really great fun talking with Samuel, a very humble guy doing great work and involved in lots of interesting projects. 
Head over to supportlocals.nl to find out more and check out Samuel Levy's website for more information on himself. That's samuellevy.nl. Next week, we chat with Gijs from Utrecht's The Chroma Haring. Remember to check out previous episodes of the podcast by heading to oedipus.com forward slash radio and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. The podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And remember to like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music on today's show is written and composed by Ola iMusic. And tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer. Beer.